Good morning. How you doing? All right. So I'm going to begin this morning a little bit strangely. Uh, so my wife's a math teacher. I'm a uh, have a degree in math myself that I got thirty some odd years ago. So I've. The stuff I'm going to show you, I actually had to look up, even though I have a degree in math. But we're going to do a little math lesson. So I know it's, it's strange in church. How many, how many are excited about learning some math today? All right. So uh, let me ask you this. Can anyone tell me the answer to that? Take a minute. Think about it. Jot it down. I'm not going to give you a lot of time. Because that would be, uh, I'd be standing here looking stupid. And take a moment. Oh, don't say that. Anybody? Any guesses? Any thoughts? We got seven. Anybody else? Six. We got six. Two. We got two. 1.4, 1.4, nice. So, uh, we got five, Ooh, six, okay. Well, uh, you guys should have listened to my son, who not only has a bachelor's in math and physics, but is getting his, he said seven, that's the right answer. Now, to get the right answer, you have to understand what Dina said, if you heard her, the order of operations. First, you're going to do, don't, don't change the slide yet. First, you're going to do everything inside the brackets. Second, you're going to do any exponents or roots, and there aren't any of those, so don't worry about that. Third, you do multiplication and division from left to right. And then fourth, addition and subtraction from left to right. Does that make sense? It's a thing called, if, when we were growing up, we, we memorized it by please, excuse, my dear Aunt Sally, uh, parentheses, exponents, Multiplication, division, addition, subtraction. Okay, so just walk through it with me. So first you would do here, so next slide. So you got six there. And then next you would do the multiplication, right? 35. Then next you would do the division, left to right, which is one. And then you would do the addition, and then the subtraction, and then the addition. All right, now you guys, if you take nothing else from this sermon, now you know the order of operations, all right. Now, now order, uh, order is important, not only in math, but in life. I mean, we put our socks on before our shoes most of the time. We brush our teeth before we eat Oreos, I hope. Uh, we talk to our wife before we buy a new car. I have a conversation I need to have with you, Christine, no. Order is important in math, order is important in life, and what we'll see today as we continue our study through the book of Romans, uh, in Romans 4, 9 through 12, Paul's going to show us that order is important in theology, in uh, our understanding of God and His plan for us. Specifically, Paul's going to make it clear that justification comes before, justification proceeds, this is the title of the message, justification precedes circumcision. 
Excited about that? Now, now you might think that sounds a little bit irrelevant for my life. But we'll see the implica- that the implications that come from this are very relevant. Implications for our obedience, uh, for faith and works, for baptism and communion, for evangelism and missions. So let's begin, so that's what's coming, but let's begin by reviewing where we are in Romans. We need to see the big picture of this letter. Paul's explaining the gospel he preaches, uh, and he's explaining it to the church in Rome in this letter. He began, he began if you were with us, Romans 1.18 to 3.20, showing the unrighteousness of all humanity. We, we spent a lot of time there. And by doing this, he establishes our need for the gospel. And then, beginning in Romans 3.21 to the end of chapter 3, verse 31, he explained the foundation of the gospel. Uh, we've talked about it. Tom mentioned it. Chad mentioned it. The justifi- that justification, being not guilty before God, is given by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ apart from works. Apart from works. That's the thing he uh, emphasizes a lot, this apart from works. And then in chapter 4, where we are right now, he shows, uh, he shows the gospel in the Old Testament. Not only is justification by faith a New Testament reality, but it's also, it's always been, it's, it's been God's method of salvation even in the Old Testament. I remember in, uh, in, when I was in seminary, I was taking an Old Testament class and I, I, don't, I, I got bold and I went up and asked my professor, so how, we were talking about Old Testament and stuff, and, and I asked, so how were people saved in the Old Testament? Is it different than the New Testament? And he just said, uh, keep coming to class. Thanks, prof. But I, I learned a lot there, and we're going to learn here the same thing as well. We're learning it. Paul's main evidence for this truth that justification is by, is a, uh, by faith is an Old Testament reality is by the justification, or we can also use the word salvation, because justification, our justification is what allows us to be saved. So he looks at the justification or salvation of Abraham. Abraham is the, the patriarch, the, the father of the Jewish people. He was the one they looked to for their spiritual example. So if Paul can show that Father Abraham was saved by the gospel, saved by grace through faith apart from works, then he's proven his argument. And so in Romans 4.3, we saw this uh, two weeks ago, he quotes Genesis 15.6. For what does the Scripture say? Looking back to the Old Testament, Genesis 15.6 says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham trusted God. He believed the promises of God. And if you look at Genesis chapter 15, you see Abraham believed God's promise that he would be given a child, an heir, the child of promise, which turned out to be Isaac. He believed also that through him, all the descendants, all the nations would be blessed through him, through his descendants. Therefore, by God's grace, Abraham was counted righteous because he, he had faith in the promises of God. These promises, Abraham may not have fully understood this, but these promises would be fulfilled, uh, pointed to, and would ultimately be filled, fulfilled in Christ Jesus. We see this clearly in Galatians. Paul writes, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
the gospel, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Abraham believed the gospel in advance, and his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So having given the evidence of Abraham's justification by faith in Romans 4, 1 through 5, Paul then briefly turns, and this was what we saw last week, to another Old Testament hero. In uh, Romans 6 through 8, or, or 7 through 8, he quotes David from Psalm 32. David says, These are the blessings for those who are counted righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So both Abraham's life and David's words, uh, they agree. Justification, being not guilty before God, being counted righteous, having your sins forgiven and covered, not counted, is all by grace through faith apart from works. And you might think, okay, Paul, we've got it. You've made your point. Abraham's life, David's words agree. Justification is by faith apart from works. But Paul isn't finished. In our passage for today, Romans 4, 9-12, he continues to drive this point home. I think one of the reasons, he, we'll see others, but I think one of the reasons I just mentioned right now is because we don't get this. I mean, we get it intellectually, but then we start to live life. We start to live like, and there are two things I think that Christians struggle with. We struggle with our sin, and we struggle thinking that we can do something about our sin ourselves. We struggle continually to think, I need to do this to earn God's favor. Even though we know theologically, the Bible says, justification is by faith alone. So he's hammering it home. And he does this by looking at the relationship between Abraham's justification and his circumcision. Now, circumcision was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. God says to Abraham, This is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So there's this sign of this covenant. Circumcision was really, became, and, and I think rightfully, uh, the most important work of obedience for the Jew. It was the mark that they were a special uh, covenant people, that they were accepted by God. It was given to Abraham and, and later included in the law as a requirement to be part of Israel. But over time, circumcision became synonymous with justification. The Jews of Paul's day taught that circumcision was a necessary condition to make you righteous before God. And we, we see this in other places. Uh, books in Paul's letters in the New Testament, the, the Jews or the, we call them the Judaizers, were saying, you Gentiles have to be circumcised. So we know this is true. It was through circumcision that you could be counted righteous. Uh, I, I, I quoted this uh, a number of weeks ago. The Midrash, which is an ancient Jewish commentary of, uh, on part of the Old Testament, includes this statement. God, this isn't the Bible, by the way, just to be clear. God swore to Abraham that no one who was circumcised would be sent to hell. Abraham sits before the gate of hell and never allows any circumcised Israelite to enter. So that's sort of the belief that had come up that was circulating in Paul's day. But this is in direct conflict with the gospel that Paul preaches. 
the gospel that righteousness, justification, salvation comes by the grace of God through faith apart from works, apart from any works, including circumcision. So Paul, defending his gospel, again turns to Father Abraham. He begins with the proof that justification precedes circumcision. Romans, uh, in Romans 4, 7, and 8, Paul has quoted David. And, and David talking about the blessings of forgiveness and, and that your sins aren't, are covered and not counted if you're justified. And in Romans 4, 9, he asks the question, is this blessing, the blessing of David, that he's talked about David, then only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised? Is being counted righteous and not having your sins counted against you only for those who've been circumcised, only for those who've received and, and rely on the law, their obedience to the law, only for the Jews? Or are the blessings also for the uncircumcised? For those who, who didn't receive the law, who haven't been circumcised, are the blessings for the Gentiles as well? We could rephrase it this way, simplify it. Is salvation available to just the Jews or to all people? Is it this Jewish work of obedience, circumcision, that results in salvation? Does obedience earn your righteousness and your right relationship with God? And to answer that question, Paul looks at Abraham. Verse 9 continues. For we say that, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Referring back to what he was talking about in verses 1 through 5 when he quoted Genesis 15:6, he showed that Abraham was counted righteous not because he was circumcised, but because of his faith. He was counted righteous because he had faith in the promises of God. He was saved by the grace through faith. And how do we but how do we know, you could say, that somehow circumcision wasn't part of that, uh, at least Abraham being counted righteous. Maybe he was circumcised and he obeyed and he had faith. Maybe it's a combination, obedience and faith. But Paul explains in verse 10, how then was it, how then was righteousness counted to him, to Abraham? Or under what circumstances was righteousness credited to Abraham? Was it before or after he was circumcised? Order matters, before or after. Was Abraham counted righteous before or after he was circumcised? Was Abraham saved before he obeyed? Any guesses? Was he, was he circumcised before or after he was justified? After. Genesis 15. Abraham is less than 86 years old when his faith is credited to him as righteousness. That's what we saw a couple weeks ago. And then in Genesis 17, two, two chapters later, some 13, 14 years later, Abraham's 99 when he's given the covenant of circumcision. This 13, 14-year gap between him being counted righteous by faith and his circumcision. And Paul confirms this answer at the end of verse 10. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Abraham was counted righteous many years before he was circumcised. He was saved before he obeyed. Therefore, justification, the blessing of getting right with God and being accepted by God, did not come by means of obedience to the law. It came before circumcision and is independent of circumcision. It came by faith, apart from works, apart from any act of obedience. 
So through the example of Abraham, Paul proves that justification precedes circumcision, that salvation precedes obedience, that faith precedes works. And at this point, if you've been reading the letter, if you've been with us, you might say to Paul, but I, but I already knew that, Paul. You already made it clear. I know I need, you need to hammer it in, but, but, but you made it clear that not only does justification precede circumcision, but circumcision is not even part of the justification equation. In Romans 3.30, Paul, you already wrote, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Not only uh, is does it matter what order of circumcision, but if you're circumcised or not, you'll be justified by faith. Justification is a matter of faith alone. So why does Paul take time to show that Abraham's justification came before his circumcision? And that's what we find out in verses 11 and 12. The first purpose, the purpose is the purpose that justification precedes circumcision, or, or we could say the purpose, uh, the purpose is, because Paul gives two, the first is to show the value and proper place of obedience. To show the value and proper place of obedience. If Abraham was justified before he was circumcised, Circumcision we can think of as, as like this picture of obedience to the law. It's a, it's a, it's a symbol of that. If, if justification comes by faith, apart from any work, why did God require Abraham and the Jews to be circumcised? Why is, Genesis, why is there a Genesis chapter 15? Why isn't it already taken care of in Genesis 15? Did I say 17 or 15? Why is there a 17 circumcision when it's already taken care of justification in 15? But Paul wants to be clear That even though circumcision is not what justifies, circumcision or any act of obedience still has value in its proper place. And that proper place is after justification. The proper place for circumcision, for works of obedience, is after salvation. But why? What's the value of circumcision? What's the value of works of obedience after justification? Verse 11, he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Circumcision was given to Abraham as a sign. The word sign means a a, a mark of authentication, authenticating mark. This is the same Greek word used in the New Testament for a, a miraculous sign. When Jesus or one of the apostles performed a a, a miracle, it was an authenticating mark that God was with them. No one can do these except for if God be with them, right? It's an authentication. The miracles were authenticating that Christ was from God, that the apostles were messengers of God. So circumcision was a sign, an authenticating mark. And what was circumcision a sign of? Well, according to Paul, Abraham received the sign, the authenticating mark, as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. That word seal is used, it's that that wax seal that you put on something 
uh, a signet ring that you dip in the wax and you seal something, proving that it's official, that it's from the person with the signet ring, the person with the wax. So Abraham received this sign, this mark of circumcision as proof of the authentic righteousness that he already had, that he had received by faith. What Paul is saying is that the value of circumcision for Abraham was not to receive justification. It was to show that he was justified. When Abraham in in Genesis 17 obeyed God and was circumcised and circumcised his household and made sure circumcision was carried on, disobedience to God was proof that he had faith and that he had been justified by God. As James says, Abraham showed his faith by his works. What Paul is doing is showing the value of circumcision after justification. And by by doing this, he's showing the value of all works of obedience after justification by faith. And this is important because up until this point in Romans, you might have thought, you you might be reading this and and this justification, justification by faith. Okay, Uh, you might have thought that's the end of the story. That's the gospel's done. I'm saved, therefore I'm done. I can throw out these works of obedience. I don't really have to worry about obeying God because I'm already saved. But notice Paul never says Abraham's circumcision, act of obedience, was unnecessary because he was already justified, saved. He wants to be clear that his gospel does not throw out works of obedience. They're not thrown out the window. That they have their proper place. They have their value. And that proper place is is not for justification. It's after and it's for authentication. Works of obedience have great value. Not to make us righteous, but to reveal the righteousness of God that we received by faith. Remember back in uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 5. I'm sure you all do. Okay. Paul introduced himself to the, the, the church in Rome by stating his purpose as one of the apostles. He says, we, have, we, the apostles, have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his, God's name, among all the nations. Everything Paul does is for the sake of God's name, for the glory of God. And God is glorified uh, by the or when the obedience of faith is seen among the nations. When we who are justified by faith obey God, we reveal the righteousness that God has credited to our account, that God has justified us with, and His glory is revealed in our lives. When you, after putting your faith in Jesus Christ, after God has declared you righteous, when you obey God, it's not only an authentic authentication of your relationship with Him, but it brings Him glory. It glorifies God. Your obedience glorifies God. But realize this, the opposite is also true. If we, after being saved or, or saying we've been saved, uh, declared righteous, if we then continually disobey God, if we do not do the works that He's prepared for us, then we call into question our justification. Were we really declared righteous? Did we really put our trust in Christ? Are we really saved? And we dishonor God's name. Our obedience honors God and our disobedience dishonors God. 
And what we need to understand is this is the gospel. The gospel does not end. We, we think the gospel ends when we're saved, right? We're saved by faith, through, uh, by grace through faith. The gospel continues on as we glorify God by living out the righteousness that we've received. Paul, Paul wants us to see that justification by faith alone, apart from works, does not mean works have no value. It does not put an end to works of obedience. It puts them in their proper place and shows their true value. Not to earn our righteousness, but as Romans 4.11 says, as a sign and a seal of the righteousness that comes by faith. The Christian life, uh, your daily walk with the Lord, has to be characterized by obedience to His Word and to His will. It must be filled with the works of God. The works that He gives us. So, so, so when, you, when you, because of faith in God, because of the work He's doing within your life, begin to obey Him, when you spend time in His Word and, and in prayer, when you spend time with His people at church and in other gatherings, fellowship, when you share your faith, when you love God and, 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 and you love people, when you give sacrificially of your time and your, your talents and your treasures, when you serve, when you overcome the sin and, and the temptation that plagues your life, these works of obedience are a sign and a seal that your faith is real. Your sins have been forgiven. And you've been credited with righteousness by God in Christ. There's a proper order in the Christian life. The proper order is faith in God to count us righteous first. And then acts of obedience, works of obedience, good works that demonstrate our faith and and glorify God. Now this applies to all acts of obedience that that God gives us. Uh, Those that I've mentioned but I'd like to just take a moment and look specifically at the value and proper place of obedience for two specific commands, two specific works that all Christians are given. This is for all of us. And I focus on these two because Christians throughout history and even today have been confused about their proper place and their actual value. These two works of obedience are, are what we call the sacraments, the And for us, that's baptism and communion. Both are commanded. Peter in in Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And in Luke 22.19 we read, And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, this is Jesus, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Both baptism and communion are commanded and therefore should be obeyed. So what is their proper place? Like Abraham's circumcision, their place is after justification, after salvation. Unlike what some in the church have taught, these these sacraments play absolutely no part in your justification, in your salvation. Justification is first And it is by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. Last week, when we participated in communion together, no one received any righteousness because they ate the bread and and drank the juice. And on September 3rd, in a few weeks, 
when, when, when a number of people are baptized during our service, no one will be justified or saved because I or anyone else pushes them under the water. So these sacraments have no power to impart righteousness, no power to save, no power to justify. And yet they're commanded by God. So, so we ask why? What's their value? Like Abraham's circumcision, their value is as a sign, as a seal, as a mark of authenticity, a testimony that you've already received the righteousness of God. This is especially seen in baptism. Because like circumcision, baptism is that initial act of obedience that testifies to the reality of the gospel in your life. It's a sign, an authenticating mark that we are in Christ. Romans uh, 6, 3 and 4, Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The value of baptism is that it means we are publicly identifying with Christ, that we in Christ have died to our sins. And that we in Christ are raised in righteousness. That we have been counted righteous. Not, not because we're raised, but because of our faith in Christ. But now, this, this, this baptism is a sign that we've been raised into new life. And all of this, when we're baptized, or when we receive communion, is for the glory of God. To proclaim what He has already done in our lives. And so the question to, 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 to the, and so the answer to the questions that are often asked about the sacraments, do I, do I need to be baptized to be saved? Do I need to continually receive communion to maintain my righteousness? The answer to both is no. Justification, salvation is by grace through faith alone. But does that mean, ever mean, that we need not be baptized, that we need not receive communion. No. No, no, of course not. Because the Christian life, the gospel, is more than getting saved. It's not a, uh, uh, coming to Christ is not the end, it's the beginning. Instead of asking the question, are these sacraments required? The question we should ask is, why would anyone who'd received the amazing grace of God through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, why would anyone who'd been counted righteous by God through faith alone, why would anyone who'd been blessed with forgiveness of their sins, why would anyone who'd been justified not want to obey God and identify with Christ through baptism? Why would anyone who's been saved by the, by the broken body and spilt blood of Jesus Christ not want to receive communion in remembrance of Him? Why would any Christian not run to the waters of baptism? Why would any Christian not rejoice in every opportunity to participate in communion? Those are the questions we should be asking. Okay? So that's the application for us with regards to the sacraments. We've seen the first purpose of justification preceding circumcision. To show the value and proper place of obedience. To authenticate our faith and glorify God. And we've looked specifically how that applies to baptism 
and communion. Now, now we turn to the second purpose for Abraham's justification preceding circumcision. This is stated a little more explicitly. It is to make Abraham the father of all who have faith. Verse 11, Paul continues. The purpose was to make him the father. So the purpose of what? The purpose that I'm telling you about. The purpose that God justified Abraham before he gave him the sign of circumcision. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them all as well. So Abraham was counted righteous before he was circumcised to make him the father, the, 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 the shining example, the one we look to of all who believe without being circumcised. In other words, God made a point uh, specifically. He, he did, it wasn't willy-nilly. I don't know why I said willy-nilly. That's kind of weird. But it wasn't like haphazard. God didn't, he did it on purpose. That he, he made sure, uh, uh, the scripture says, Abraham was justified uh, 13, 14 years before he was circumcised so Abraham could be the father of the uncircumcised Gentile believer. In that moment, you could even say Abraham was a Gentile when he was saved, when he was justified. And then in verse 12, Paul adds, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the father of the uncircumcised Gentiles who have faith, and he's the father of the circumcised Jews who have faith, who walk in Abraham's footsteps of faith. Abraham is the father of all true believers, whether they're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. So the purpose of God justifying Abraham before he was circumcised was to make Abraham the father of all who believe, of all who have faith. Now, why is this important? Why do we care? Why do we care that Abraham is the father of all who have faith? Because it means that everyone, Jew and Gentile, you and I, can now be part of God's covenant people. There's no, there's no one who can't be part of God's covenant people. Remember, several weeks ago, we looked at the promises God gave to Abraham, made to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham, his final promise was, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's design from the beginning was that through Abraham, all the families, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. All the families of the earth would be represented among God's covenant people. That there would be people from every tribe and tongue and nation in His kingdom. And the way God would accomplish this would not be by by people becoming Jews and being circumcised. He would accomplish it in the same way it happened for Abraham. God would bless, God would justify the families of the earth through His grace given to those who have faith apart from works, apart from circumcision. Just like Abraham, all people can enter into a covenant relationship with God through faith. Father Abraham, therefore, becomes a model to all people. Everyone on earth, no matter what their ethnic background is, no matter what nation or tribe or tongue they belong to, everyone can look to Abraham to find the way of salvation. And that way is faith in God. Faith in the promises of God 
fulfilled by Jesus Christ. God, by justifying Abraham before he was circumcised, when he was really a Gentile, he makes Abraham the father of all who have faith, Jews and Gentiles. God made it clear that justification, that salvation, relationship with him is intended for all people. That God's heart is for all people. For all tribes and tongues and nations. That we, are, we can all be children of Abraham. And, and so the final question this morning is obvious, I think. Is Abraham your father? Maybe a corollary. And are you walking in his footsteps? Have you, like Abraham, put your faith in the promises of God? Do you believe the, promise, the promises that were fulfilled by Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in Christ that through His sacrificial death on the cross, He's provided you with righteousness? Righteousness that you can't earn. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone? If your answer is no, then I'd encourage you and challenge you not to leave this place today without following in the footsteps of Father Abraham. Knowing that no act of obedience... There is absolutely nothing you can do. No act of obedience. No work of righteousness. There is no work of righteousness you could do to earn your justification, your salvation. But only by putting your faith in the Gospel of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the provision of God's righteousness. Give your life to Christ today. That's the application if you haven't done it yet. That's really the only application the Bible offers to those who haven't Trusted in Christ is to do that first. Order of events first. Trust in Christ. And for those who've already called Abraham their father because uh, they've already put their faith like Abraham did in the promises of God and in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to not only rejoice, uh, to rejoice, but to not only rejoice in your justification by God's grace through faith. I mean, that's, that should be a, a, just a keynote of your life, to rejoice again and again that you've been justified by faith, that you couldn't earn your salvation, and therefore God sent Christ to die in your place, to give you salvation. Rejoice, but, and to not only seek to obey all these things, yes, seek to obey in the, pro, in the proper place. Seek to, seek to obey the will and the Word of God. Seek to do the works that He's prepared for you. Not to earn righteousness, but to reveal the righteousness that God has given you and to glorify God. So, so do that. Rejoice that you've been justified by faith. Obey in the proper order, revealing that you've been justified and glorifying God. But also, I'd, I'd call you to become an active part. You, you know, this, this, uh, this passage and next week, it's going to talk about Abraham being our father. And I think we, as children of Abraham, as children of God, need to be part of fulfilling the promise given to our father Abraham. God said to Abraham, this lasting promise. Some of the promises were specifically for the nation Israel, but, but this is for all people. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we understand that this blessing that that God promised comes to those who follow in Abraham's footsteps of faith. It comes to those who put their faith in the promises of God in Jesus Christ. The blessing comes to those who put their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've received that blessing. 
Those of us who've trusted in Christ. And now, it's our responsibility as children of Abraham, as children of God, to take that blessing that God's given us, to take that blessing, uh, to take the Gospel of Jesus Christ to all peoples, to the nations and, and to our neighbors. By making Abraham the father of all who have faith, God has shown that He intends people from all nations and tribes and tongues to enter into covenant relationship with Him. And as children of Abraham, our part is to take the blessing promised through Abraham to the nations. I'd encourage you this week to to seek God for how He wants you to be involved in reaching the nations, in reaching the peoples of this earth who, who've never heard or have little knowledge of, of Christ, of the Gospel, of, of what it means to trust, to have faith. But you can, you can begin right now where you are. Praying and, and looking for opportunities to bless those around you with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Proclaiming the good news that they too can be counted righteous. That they can be saved. Not by acts of obedience, because that's what everybody is running around trying to do. You have the, you have the truth. You have this message uh, given to you in the Word of God. That that's not going to uh, avail you anything. I know, how many of us have friends that are in one way or another trying to earn their own righteousness? They believe by doing good, by being good, by uh, doing this project or this program or whatever, that they will be made righteous and somehow God will accept them. But you have the message, the good news, that you can stop all that. You can stop all those efforts. That you could turn to God in faith and He will count you righteous. That it's by the God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ that you'll be saved. Take a moment, I, w- I would ask you right now, wherever you are, think about, pray about how you can be a blessing to those around, around the world, but maybe even right now, those in your world, those you see, those you work with, those that live nearby you, to those who've yet to receive the blessing of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To those who've yet to become children of Abraham. Take a minute. Think about that. Ask God, God, how can you use me in the lives of the people around me that need you so desperately? So take a, Just take a moment of silent prayer and I'll close our time together. Maybe begin by rejoicing that you have been justified by faith. Maybe ask God to give you the the power to obey, to see the value of obedience, how it authenticates your faith and brings glory to Him. And now pray that You've been blessed in, in such great ways. Lord, how can, how can you use us to be a blessing? Maybe there's a, a person that's coming to your mind now. Put, take them before the Lord. Call upon God to draw them to himself and use you as a means of blessing in their lives.
Maybe there's someone in your family who doesn't know Christ. Pray for them. Lord God, thank you for, for Jesus. Thank you that you've allowed us to enter into this covenant that you established with Abraham to be your people. Lord, and I pray for us that we would, we would now, having been so blessed, become a blessing to the world around us. That we would take the, the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ to those who've, who've yet to believe, who've yet to turn to you. In Christ's name, amen.